Okay, um, I've got a question for you this morning, and that question is this, have you ever been duped, D-U-P-E-D, have you ever been duped, okay, now if, you, if, if you're shaking your head no, well then you're being duped, you've been duped, you just don't know that you've been duped, right? So when I was uh, graduated from Texas Tech University just a few years back, my older and younger brother happened to be graduating from uh, getting, uh, my older brother got his master's, my younger brother graduated from high school. And so in all our educatedness, my father decided to take us on a trip to San Francisco. So, so these four men, boys, boys, men, uh, uh, got on an airplane and went to San Francisco and uh, I remember my younger brother and myself one day, I don't, I don't even know how it was just the two of us, but we were walking down the streets of San Francisco, uh, which probably tells you something about us. And uh, we noticed there was like this little crowd of people over here on the street, just kind of on the, on the side of the sidewalk. And, and so we, we go over there and we, we kind of look in and we're thinking, what's going on here? What, what's, what's the deal here? Well, there's this oh, four or five people hovered, kind of huddled around, and there's this guy in the middle, and he has three playing cards. And, and, one, of those, and, and one of those cards is red, if you turn it over, and the other two are black. And so he's sitting there doing the little card thing where he's mixing the cards up, and people are, are watching, and my brother and I are watching as well, and he stops, and he says to you know, someone in the crowd is like, who, who thinks they know where the red card is? And someone says, well, I think I do. And he's like, okay, will you be willing to bet $20 on that? And they said, sure. And so they put down $20 and they say, it's card number one. Well, my brother and I are thinking in our heads, nah, it's card number three. We know it's card number three. So the guy turns over card number one and sure enough, card number one is black. And he turns over card number two and card number three. And my brother and I were right. Card number three was the red card. So the guy says, all right, let's do it again. Starts throwing the cards around. He's like, who wants to, who wants to play? And, you know, I'm, I got vacation money in my pocket. It's like, man, this is, an easy, this is easy money. And so he stops the cards. He's like, all right, who, who thinks they know which it is? And my brother had a 50. I had a 50. We both threw down 50 bucks a piece. One of us said, hey, I'll give you 50 bucks. I think it was more like, hey, you throw down your 100, I'll give you 50 later kind of a deal. So we threw down the 100. We both knew it was this certain card. It looked just like the time before. That had to be the red card. He said, which card is it? It was like number two. It's got to be number two. Turns it over and it's black. Gone is the $100. These, little, these, these, these two boys who grew up in a small town, who are not streetwise at all. Um, my, my Texas Tech education did not prepare me for this kind of experience. Okay, College degree in hand didn't really, didn't really work in this situation. And we walked away scratching our heads and we're thinking, man, we're stupid. And, and, and quite the humble experience. We got duped. We got duped. And I have to use that as, as many sermon illustrations as possible just to make use of that life experience. I got, I got to redeem that in some way. We are nearing the end of our journey with Jesus in the gospel of Luke. Jesus has been heading to Jerusalem, 
this whole time, ever since September, we've been like on this long marathon journey with Jesus to Jerusalem. And last week, Augie preached on Zacchaeus, where Jesus makes his final stop in Jericho, which is the town right before Jerusalem. It's the final stop. Now we have finally arrived. Jesus rides into Jerusalem. He is, is praised by the crowds. He weeps over Jerusalem. He comes in and he really begins to start poking the bear. He goes right to the heart of the problem, the very mission of God that is on the back of Jesus, and he is going straight to the heart of the matter. He tells a story about some tenants who did not do their job. They were wicked tenants, and Jesus is pointing fingers at the religious establishment that were not faithful to do what God has not set up Israel to be and do in the world this whole time. And Jesus is coming to make sure that everybody is aware of it. So a series of debates begins between Jesus and different groups of religious leaders. And really, Jesus has been debating all along. Well, the first debate is with some scribes and some chief priests. And then we get to this debate today on, uh, from the Sadducees. Now, we haven't really seen much of the Sadducees up until this point. The Sadducees are different than kind of Jesus' normal opponents up till now, which has been mainly the Pharisees. The Sadducees uh, were more of the upper class. They were the uh, aristocracy of Israel. Uh, the Pharisees were more about the law. The Sadducees were more about the temple, and the temple was in Jerusalem. You really won't find Sadducees on the way to Jerusalem, but once you get there, there they are in all their wealth and in all their power. Sadducees had some different beliefs than Pharisees. Number one, they only counted the first five books of the Bible as authoritative, Genesis through Deuteronomy. The other main belief the Sadducees contended was that they uh, did not believe in the resurrection. This idea of resurrection was not clear, clear in the law of Moses. It's something that came up in the prophets and in the wisdom literature later on in the history of Israel. And the Sadducees just really weren't buying into this idea of a resurrection. It's not really convenient anyway for the elite to uh, believe in the resurrection. Such beliefs tended to give rise to rebellions. And those Sadducees did not really want rebellions happening because they kind of enjoyed their position. Rebellions happen when you think, well, God will give me rewards in the afterlife, therefore we'll rebel now to the death kind of a thing. So the Sadducees were all about protecting their own status. And Jesus is coming in uh, to the heart of Jerusalem, and the Sadducees are pretty close to that heart. So the Sadducees come to Jesus with this question uh, that was read this morning. There was this man, he's married to the woman, uh, the man dies and the woman is childless. Okay, now I'm going to put a little time out on that. We are living in a different culture uh, in ancient Israel. In ancient Israel, it was a culture whereby um, a woman's social security was provided to her through either a husband or through a son. And if a woman's husband dies and she has no children, then her social security is gone. So marriage was, a big part of marriage was about providing for a woman. 
and for her to not fall in between the cracks. And so in the law in the Old Testament, uh, God had Moses write out some rules and some, some laws. If a woman has no son and the woman's husband dies, then the, uh, the, the brother, the next brother, is to marry the woman, to take her in and to provide for her as well as to provide a son so that uh, the first husband has a lineage, his name is going to be remembered, and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of good social reasons in that day and in that age as to why this law existed. So the Sadducees say, this woman had a husband, he died, no child. Then she married the brother, he died. This happened seven times, and then finally the woman died. The woman has no child. Whose husband uh, who will be her husband in the resurrection? That's the question they posed to Jesus. Now, the Sadducees don't really believe in the resurrection. And so the question is loaded with in the resurrection. They're asking a question with a premise built in that they themselves don't believe in. They are trying to dupe Jesus. They're trying to trick him, to get him in a bind. We really see this all along in Jesus' ministry. You look through the stories of the Gospels, and it's really people trying to trip Jesus up, people trying to trick him, people debating him and trying to get him into a bind. And Jesus always seems to get out of the trick. It causes us, however, to be aware of the questions that are being asked of us in life. Who's, who will be this woman's husband in the resurrection? The question itself is loaded with an assumption. Isn't it interesting that, the, that sin came into the world through a question? Adam and Eve in the garden, and here comes this serpent. What's the first thing the serpent does? The first thing out of his mouth. It's a question. Questions are loaded. They're loaded with assumptions. They're loaded potentially with de deceit and trickery. We see these questions being asked of Jesus all, the, all along the way. You know, just earlier here in chapter 20, um, Jesus was asked a question and he, he didn't take the bait. Usually Jesus doesn't take the bait on a question. He, he stops before the question's ever asked. And, and he doesn't go down the line of reasoning and thought that the question itself has because he sees that there are some assumptions built into that question. For example, earlier here in chapter 20, some scribes and leaders came to him and they said, Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Who is it that gave you this authority? It's a, it's a legitimate question. And Jesus says to them, he answers their question with another question. He says, well, you tell me this. Was the baptism of John from heaven or was it of human origin? And Jesus posing that question to them, he put them in a bind. Because if they said that the baptism of John was from heaven, then they would have to therefore acknowledge that John baptized Jesus and therefore Jesus' ministry is legitimate. However, if they said, we think that John the Baptist's baptism is not of heaven, well, they knew the people would probably run them out of town because the people were high on the ministry of John the Baptist. So Jesus puts them in the quandary, and they say, we don't know. 
And Jesus says, well, neither am I going to tell you. These aren't just questions to be answered. The questions themselves is part of the debate. It's part of the back and forth. And so here we have this strange question about marriage and the resurrection. This time, in this particular situation, Jesus does take the bait and he runs with it. He takes the question head on and he answers it straight up. He says, in the resurrection, there will be no marriage. That, that, that resurrection world, the, those who are worthy of that age, it, it's, a, it's a world that's, that's not exactly like our world in our age. And, and even our imaginations of what that is going to be falls short of that. He takes that and he, he runs with it. Now, that could open up a ton of questions for us that we really don't have time to delve into today at least in the next 15 to 10 to 15 minutes. But ultimately, this is not a scripture about marriage. Ultimately, this is one of those examples of Jesus outsmarting the best and the brightest. It's ultimately about him proving that he is indeed the one who is wise. He truly is the Son of God. He truly does have the spirit of wisdom and that he actually knows what he's talking about. He even finishes it off by taking one of their scriptures as an argument for the resurrection. By saying he is God of the living, not the dead. What that means is we come today to worship a man who even though gave his life on a cross, we worship a man who doesn't get duped. He really sees things for what they really are. You know, if there is is one skill in life to be had, if you could could create your own profile of your life and and you had kind of a, um, a set of different markers or characteristics, you know, like on a video game, you, you, you say, well, I want this kind of skill and this kind of skill and this kind of skill. If you could have a different skill set and, and you had to pick one over the other, what would be the best skill if you had to choose between education or power or money or personality? What would be the, you know, how much of each of those would you choose? I think that if I had to choose, and in some way we all kind of get to as we walk down the road of life, I think to cultivate this characteristic of discernment is probably one of the greatest skills that we could have as followers of Christ. This ability to truly see things for what they are really are and that's hard sometimes you think that card is one color and it's not it's a different one and every part of you believes it it's easy to get tricked and we're all susceptible to it discernment is difficult for one it takes kind of a all hands on deck, all eyes, all ears, all of our mental energy really paying attention and being alert for what is going on. 
There are kind of two extremes to this lack of discernment. One is kind of this naive going down the road of life thinking, well, everything's good. All people are fine. That person's going to probably stumble pretty quickly. The other side is, is what you might call the conspiracy theorists, and they're always looking out for everything. And, and it doesn't matter if it's like there's a demon under every rock or if the government is out to get you no matter what, and they're listening to us right now, brothers and sisters. Somewhere in between, neither of those extremes is all that discerning. Discernment happens in the middle, in the messy middle where you have to tease out what is the difference between what is true and what is not? What is real and what is just an illusion and a lie? It's one of the deepest challenges of the human soul. It was a challenge for Adam and Eve. It's a challenge for Jesus and it's a challenge for us. Do we even see what is real out there? Or are we just living a lie? What illusions are we living our life based upon? And what is real? 1 Peter 5.8 says, Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary the devil prowls around looking for someone to devour. Keep alert. You know, getting duped pretty much means we believe a lie. It means we take the bait. We've been doing it ever since Genesis chapter 3. But Jesus shows us one who is wiser, one who doesn't take the bait, one who is always a step ahead. And we don't really have the power to do this on our own. We must call upon him for wisdom, for spiritual discernment and spiritual direction. It means that all of our human efforts and anything that you do, take any decision you make, large or small, you can write all the pros over here and all the cons over here. You still don't have enough information to make the best choice until you pray, until you say, Lord, show me your way. Give me wisdom. Give me discernment. I think as we continue down the road of life in the world that we live on, us Christians have to be more and more discerning. I think we have to be more discerning than we were 20 years ago, more discerning than 30, 40, 50 years ago. As Jesus would say, we have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. We must pay attention. You know, Jesus lays out this vision for resurrection. And it's, it's kind of like you can just get a, a small glimpse of it. I'm reminded... This very week, there's a lady that I know of who is in her 40s who died of cancer this last week. I did a funeral of a lady who died in her 80s this last week. And just yesterday, there was a woman who had a car accident right here in Lubbock, Texas, in her 60s. And I learned this morning that woman lives just one block away from me, right down the street. And that presses me to think, wow, we better be alert. Let's pay attention to what's going on. You never know, do you? You never know. May the Lord give us wisdom to see and to know what is real, to not be lulled asleep, 
but to be ready. Are you ready to engage Jesus today? Let us pray. Lord, we have to confess that often we just get lulled to sleep in life. We lose perspective. We go through the motions. We lose heart and lose energy. Sometimes we just go with the flow. But as we come to you in prayer, as we come to you in worship, would you open our eyes to see the things that are real? Would you open our ears to hear what you're saying in the midst of it? Lord, give us spiritual wisdom. As we see, Jesus, how you again and again and again outwitted and outsmarted those opponents of yours, we need that spiritual wisdom. So that we can see what you're doing beneath the surface of what appears to be real. Show us your ways, O God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen.